From the word of the Lord this morning from Matthew chapter two. It says, now when they, that is the wise men, had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. And then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were no more. When Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared and dreamed to Joseph in Egypt and said, rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And when he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, which, so that it was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. Our Father, we lift up this time to you and we ask you to, to help us this morning to understand both the interpretation and the significance of these words. Lord, I pray you know that after such a, a full week, but also such an exhausting week, you know that I come before you this morning in weakness. And I pray that through my weakness, you would be magnified. Lord, I pray that your people will be edified and will be exalted. They will be not exalted, but Lord, but that you would be exalted and that you would be glorified as we worship you through the word. Lord, may our songs and may the words of our mouth and now may the meditations of our hearts be glorifying and magnifying and pleasing in your sight. We have not come to hear the wisdom of man, but we've come to hear the word of God. So Lord, help me to explain it and to, and to worship in giving it so that your people will worship you and will leave here having said, it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. It's in your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. And I'd invite you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter three. Matthew chapter three, as we are continuing our study in Matthew. You know, it's been a really difficult uh, couple of years, hasn't it? And we just went through kind of a, a season of difficulty in our church, just uh, looking around and seeing those who have been affected by the virus, and not only the virus, but other things. We've had uh, those in our families, among our church family that has experienced uh, loss over the last week. 
the Meitzens and, and Danny Mitchell and the loss of his mother. And by the way, I'm so thankful to you guys who were there on Tuesday. I, 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 I just I was felt terrible about it, but I, I simply could not miss uh, the seminar because of the way the program works. And so thank, thankful so much to you guys who were, who were there and able to, um, able to serve their family during that time. And now, of course, with the Meitzen family having lost their precious father. And it's, it's a time of difficulty. It's a time of distress. And it's, it's often tempting to think, well, are we really, do we really have hope in that kind of time? Do we really have something that we can lean on? Do we really have something that we can hold on to? Uh, someone, I was talking with someone and, and they said, you know, Christianity is really just a crutch for the weak. And to that I answered, duh. That's the whole point. You think that's an insult. That's actually one of the highest things that we glorify in. That's one of the highest things that we worship God for. In fact, the fact of the matter is, guys, we all have a crutch. Every single one of us are leaning on something for our sustainment, for sustaining when life gets difficult. The question is not whether you have a crutch. The question is what your crutch is. And more to the point, is that crutch strong enough to hold you up when distress comes into your life? That's the question. It's not a question of anything else. We've had, we've had people who were sick. You know, one person told me that, that there were a couple of times that uh, I was ready to go to the ER because I was feeling so bad. And so what did he have to lean on during that time? What did he have to fall back on? The fact of the matter is, is that every single one of us is gonna have a time like that when we're going through difficulty, when we're going through distress. And the question is, what are we going to lean on? And that's what we come to in our text this morning. We, we saw that, that the last time we were here, that the Magi had come and they had come to ask about the new king. And, the, and, and we dispelled a few of the rumors and the myths about the Magi. We know there weren't just three, et cetera, things like that. But we do know that there had to be enough at least to get Herod's attention. Because he was very troubled by this. Remember in verse three that we looked at last week that, that when Herod heard that this was going on in his city, he was troubled and all of the town with him. And now those magi have come and they have come to worship God. They have come to worship Jesus in his manger. And, manger, and Herod had set up this conspiracy that when they found him, they were supposed to come back and tell him so that he could supposedly go worship as well. I think anybody with half a brain knew what his real intentions were. And so the Magi were warned in a dream and they went another way. And that's where we come to in verse 13. It says, now when they had departed, that is talking about the wise men. That is talking about the Magi, that when they, were, when they had departed, obviously there was enough for them to get Herod's attention when they came into town and there must have been enough of them for it to be noticed whenever they left. We also know that Herod, from history, Herod would always send spies out into the land. He had constant spies to, to know what was going on. He was very paranoid. 
And so this would not have escaped Herod's notice. And he was furious. And he was about to cause distress for the Holy Family. He was about to cause distress for, Mo, for Moses. For, uh, we'll get to Moses in a minute, but he was about to cause distress for Joseph and Mary. And the question is, is when that, that kind of distress comes, and, and beloved, as we see here, sometimes difficulty and distress, it comes not because we're doing the wrong thing, that's what we often think, but in this case, it's coming because the wise men did the right thing. And so often in our culture, that is what's going to happen. It, that distress and that difficulty and that pressure is gonna come because we are actually determined to worship God and not man. And when that happens, we need something to rest on. We need something that will hold us secure. It's not a matter of whether or not you have a crutch. It's a matter of whether that crust is strong enough to sustain you. And beloved, I tell you this morning, Christ is strong enough to sustain you in distress. He is strong enough. So as Christians, what do we do? And, and here's the point. We are to rest secure in Jesus Christ. Rest secure in him when difficulty comes. By the way, I, for those of you taking notes, I apologize. I did not have time to put a PowerPoint together this morning. And so let me just say two very simple points this morning, and here they are. Number one, we can rest secure in Christ because he has delivered us. And we can rest secure in Christ because he is victorious. He has delivered us and he is victorious. Let's see how Matthew points this out. There are two truths that we see that security that we can rest in, in this text. And so let's look at it. Beginning in verse 13, moving on. It says, in the middle of the night, Joseph was in a dream and, and the angel appeared to him in this dream and says, Joseph, you need to leave town. You need to take the child. You need to take his mother and you need to get out of Dodge because Herod is coming for Jesus. By the way, Joseph five times in this passage has, been, has had an angel appear to him in a dream. You think you have sleeping problems? Can you imagine? I mean, Joseph must have been afraid to go to sleep, you know? Five times in this passage, an angel comes to him. You know, I, I can imagine at this point, he's probably getting some insomnia. But he, he come, but this angel comes to Joseph in a dream and says, you need to get out of here for Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. So they get up in the middle of the night and they go to Egypt. Why Egypt? Why Egypt? You know, uh, I think first of all, that quite frankly, if they had stayed anywhere in the land, Herod had spies all over the land and anywhere they went, Herod would have known where they were going. So I think that's the first reason. But I think there's a second reason that is, that is a little more profound here. And that second reason is that what is happening is that Jesus as the new deliverer, Jesus as the new king, the new redeemer, the new, he, he, is, he is reliving the experience of the nation. Just like when, when Israel went into Egypt in their infancy, so in the same way now, Christ is going to relive that experience of his people and he in his infancy is gonna go down 
to Egypt as well. It's part of his identification with his people. Christ has identified with us. And we're gonna see that even more profoundly in, in Matthew 3. But we see that here that Christ is identifying. He doesn't mean to become a king over people that he knows nothing about. Don't you get tired of how disconnected our politicians are? Don't you get tired of that? Beloved, when Christ came to be king of us, he didn't come just to be a politician. He came to identify with our experience. He came to identify with us. Where are you getting that? Because look on down. It says here in verse 17, then was fulfilled that which was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. It said, out of Egypt, I called my son. And just like we saw with uh, the virgin birth prophecy, this is one of those prophecies that uh, people tend to think that Matthew just kind of pulled it out of thin air and just kind of found a random verse and then he used it the way he wanted to. So I wanna look at just very quickly, not quite to the extent that we did the other one, but I wanna show you my point here. I wanna argue my point to show you what is happening here. How is Christ our greater deliverer? And I want you to turn in your Bibles to Hosea chapter 11 for just a moment. Hosea chapter 11, uh, go to the major prophets, find Daniel, most of us can find that, and then it's one book over, Hosea, I think. Is that right? I never memorized my books in order, is that right? Hosea comes after Daniel, right? Okay. I've been pastoring for 20 years, you think I could do that by now, but anyway, so, so Hosea chapter 11, and it says here in verse one, it says that when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Now that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Because that's the verse that Matthew is quoting. And when you read it just there by itself, you seem to think for a moment that, well, that doesn't really seem to be talking about Jesus. What's going on here? Well, beloved, let's look on in the chapter and let's look at how this works. And just very quickly, in verses two through three, and, uh, and, and going on, it says that the more they were called, the more they went away, that in spite of Israel being an infant and in spite of Israel being called out of Egypt by God, referring to the Exodus, in spite of this, they continued to sin, they continued to rebel against God, and they continued to, to reject him as their king. And the Lord in verses four through through uh, seven, excuse me, verses four through five, verses three through four, I'm sorry, and verses three through four, it says that in spite of all of this rejection, he continually showed kindness to them. He continually, uh, you remember in the book of Judges, it was just one judge after another, delivery, 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 delivery. And he continued to show kindness toward Israel, even though they continued to sin against him. And so beginning in verse five, the Lord says, they shall not again return to Egypt, but there is something worse coming. They're going to go to Assyria. They are going to have once again this slavery experience. They are going to once again be oppressed in a foreign land. And yet, in verse eight, the Lord says, how can I give you up? 
And though, excuse me, how can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils. God says, this is hurting me to do this. It's like when your dad used to say, this is gonna hurt me worse than it hurts you. To which I used to say, well, I'm the one getting punished here, so why don't you let me spank you instead? But every one of our parent, every one of us as a parent, we understand that, don't we? And that's what God is saying. It, my heart is recoiling within me, so my compassion grows warm and tender, and I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am not, I am God and not a man. The Holy One, watch this, the Holy One in your midst and I will not come in wrath. Beloved, you understand that when Matthew says that the prophecy of Jeremiah that says, out of Egypt I called my son, what Hosea is referring to is that once again, there's going to be a greater captivity, there's gonna be a greater slavery, there's gonna be a greater oppression, but there's going to be a greater exodus that is coming And that when Yahweh shows up to his people in their midst, he's going to come not in wrath, but in compassion. And look at verse 10, it says, and they shall go after Yahweh and he will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. Beloved, Jesus is Yahweh coming to his people in compassion. Jesus is the fulfillment of God coming to us, not in wrath, but in kindness, but in compassion, in tenderness, and in love. He has not set us aside he has come to deliver us in his kindness. Isn't that cool? Matthew knew exactly what he was doing. Matthew knew exactly what he was saying. One of my friends was called to serve on a, on a, in a large church. He was living in Louisville, and, and he was called to serve at this large church in L.A. I won't give you the name of it, but if I, but if I told you, every one of you would know it. And he... Um, he worked out everything. He and his wife got packed. They, they found this beautiful house in Burbank. And so they, so they had their house on the market. They had a buyer for their house in Louisville. And, and, so, um, and so they went ahead and moved out. Well, the problem is, is when they got into LA, uh, the buyer for their house in Louisville fell through. And they had to put it back on the market. And for about six to seven to eight months, they were having to pay two mortgages at a time. And uh, when you are on a church salary paying two mortgages and one of them is in Burbank, California, that's a problem. Okay, that is a problem. And they were, they were under such financial distress and finally, one day, he went to one of the elders in the church, and he was talking to them. He was an elder also, but he was talking to one of the elders of the church, and he said, look, I'm, I'm going to have to resign because we're going to have to sell our house here in L.A. And, and find something else, and I just need to resign. And, and he poured out this heart to his elders. So, uh, so about a week and a half, two weeks later, they had their elder meeting, and, and the pastor was going over all the goals for the month, everything that they had done, all that. They were discussing things. And just as they were about to leave, this elder he spoke with, he says, Pastor, I have a question. 
is it right to call someone here and then allow them to go, undo, go through undue distress because of being here? Should, if we call someone here, should we not take care of them? And the pastor said, yes, what's going on? And he said, he pointed over to my friend. He said, my friend is having some difficulty and we need to hear him out. And so my friend, he swallowed the huge lump that just appeared in his throat and he began to pour his heart out to the elders and told them what was going on. And he'd not, he had not even finished before one of the elders spoke up and said, gentlemen, let's buy his house. And it was unanimous. They all agreed. And so they, the very next morning, the church called the realtor, made arrangements to purchase the house immediately. By the end of the week, the church owned the house and then they turned right around and put it back on the market. And it sold in like six months, something like that. But here's the point. Do you know that under that distress, when they were under that kind of weight of having the two mortgages, every single bill that came in was just a major source of stress to them. Have you ever been to the point to where you had such a heavy financial burden that you can have a $10 bill come in uh, through your mail, but you look at that and yeah, it's only $10, but oh my goodness, everybody has got their hands out. Everybody, it just, every single dollar that someone asks for seems like such a burden. Have you ever been under that kind of stress before? And that's the kind of stress that he was under. But as soon as the kindness of the church took away that major burden out from under him, all of a sudden, all of the other little bills that were coming in were not quite as stressful anymore, right? And beloved, Jesus has delivered us from, our, from the burden, from the slavery that is over us. He has delivered us from the great burden that weighed us down. We are now under his deliverance. And as a result, now all of the things, all of the distress that we face in earth are not quite so bad. Not, they're, they're doable. They're, they're in perspective without that massive burden over us they are, they're manageable. And beloved, that is the deliverance that Jesus gives us, that he has removed our sin, he has removed our burden, he has removed our slavery, and now anything that comes into our lives, by his strength, we can endure it. Because he has given us the deliverance. He has delivered us, amen? Can you imagine the relief my friend felt, beloved, have you felt that kind of relief? Have you, has the burden of sin been removed from your heart? Have you come to a understanding of who you are as a sinner? And have you come to understand the burden of sin that has come over you? And have you had that removed by the grace and by the cross of Jesus Christ? Do you have that deliverance in your life? I pray you do. I pray you do. Christ, who has come to us in compassion, has removed our largest debt. He has freed us from our slavery. So things that come our way are just not quite as scary anymore. They're not quite as hard. When you're grieving, when you're hurting, when you're sick, when that pesky anxiety comes knocking again, do you remember that you are in Christ? Do you remember that in Christ no weapon formed against you shall prevail? Do you remember that you are delivered 
and that Christ has not only delivered you, but he has also won the victory for you. And that's what we see in the rest of the passage in Matthew that Christ has delivered us so we can rest secure in him, but Christ is also victorious. He is also victorious. And, and look, in, uh, look in verse uh, 16. And then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to, the t- according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. We can rest secure from anything, any distress, any difficulty that comes our way. And sometimes that's going to come from the world. Herod, good old paranoid, maniacal Herod, Maniacal, I guess is the right way to say that. He found out he had been tricked. He didn't like that one bit. And so, why did Joseph and Mary had to make for Egypt overnight? Because quite frankly, I don't think it would have taken that long before whatever spy Herod had in Bethlehem would have reported and tattled on them. And so as you read verses 16 through 18, this is significant for a couple of different reasons. Number one, because this is the first attempt on Jesus's life in the gospels. This is the first time they try to kill him before his time. Now, there were times when they tried to stone Jesus and that didn't work. There were times that they tried, there was one time specifically that they tried to push him up on a hill and push him off. That didn't work. Ultimately, they crucified him. By the way, that didn't work either. So this is the, this is the first attempt where Herod tries to kill him as an infant. But it's significant, second of all, all, because it shows that just like Moses was in Egypt, a tyrant king attempted to kill him. And in the same way, now Jesus is an infant. He is going to Egypt. And now, once again, a tyrant king is trying to take his life as well in order to keep him from delivering his people. In Hebrews chapter three, verses one through six, I'll read it for you, just might wanna write it down, look at it later. But in Hebrews chapter three, verses one through six, Hebrews makes, the, the author makes this direct comparison. He says, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. And I'll I'll stop there. It goes on through verse six. But it shows that Christ is the greater Moses. It shows that this is a greater exodus and he has won a greater victory for us than Moses ever won for his people. Beloved, the kingdom of this world, the kingdoms of this world is always coming against God, always fighting against God. They are always trying to stop Jesus and deprive the world of Jesus Christ. 
And they're still doing this today. They're still doing this today. We're still seeing it, and we're seeing it more and more and more. Our brothers in Canada are going through a tremendous time of difficulty right now because their own government is telling them that you cannot preach the truth anymore about moral issues. That's, that's our neighbors to the north. And by the way, it's not just up there. It's happening here too. It's happening in West Lafayette, for example, where Dr. Steve Byers has this wonderful church that the whole church is, is just an outreach to the community or this wonderful ministry model. I commend him and any of his books to you. They've been, they've been providing uh, counseling for free in that community for decades. Thousands of lives in that town has been touched by the gospel. And through the seminary they have there on their campus and through the training, millions of lives have been affected by their ministry, Faith Baptist Church in Lafayette, Indiana. And yet now the city is coming against them and telling them you cannot counsel people in the truth of God anymore. Same thing's happening in Virginia. You know, we mentioned this last time. Did you notice during COVID how churches were targeted? You know, you can, you can go to Caesar's Palace in, in Las Vegas and they can operate at 50% capacity. But if you are a church that can seat over 7,000 people, you can still only have a maximum of 50 people in your sanctuary at a time. Wasn't that ridiculous? Absolutely ridiculous. And beloved, that wasn't just that. It happened here too. In fact, I got a screenshot of, a, uh, of an article that came out. This is from our own media. Can you read that? This came out in the earliest part of uh, 2020 last year. It said that Arkansas sets a new record for community virus transmission, virus clusters seen at churches. Oh my, what must we do? By the way, journalism 101. Most editors know that when you read the paper, the vast majority of you are not gonna read past the headline. And those that do, will not read past the second paragraph. But when you read through the rest of the article and you get down into the actual data, here's what it says. It says, according to state health officials, 2% of cases came from people who visited a restaurant in the past. If you visited a restaurant at any point in your life, you're part of the 2%. Another 2% came from people who visited churches People who visited health and wellness centers such as physicians, dentist office, and basically everyone else, they account for another 2%. Wait a minute. Why point out churches in the headlines? Why the headline? To scare you out of coming to church. That's why. Because the kingdom of this world, beloved, does not want you in church. Now, that particular writer, you know what? I don't know him. I don't, I don't know him. I don't know if that was his agenda. I don't know. And there's no telling how many hands that article passed through before it went to print, okay? So does K-A-R-K not want you in church? I don't know. But does the world not want you in church? No, they don't. They do not understand we come to church even at the risk of our health, even at the risk of our lives even. We come to church not because we get something out of it. Worship is not a means to an end. Worship is the end in and of itself because God is worthy. That's why we come to church. 
That's why we do this. And the world does not understand it, but they do know this, that as long as we keep worshiping God, they will never be the highest authority in our lives. That they do know. And so they will continually try these scare tactics to scare you out of coming to church. Fact of the matter is, and church was one of the safest places to be during the pandemic, by far. So what weapons will they use to do this? They'll use tribulation, yeah. They'll use distress, yep. They will try to cause distress in your life. They will attempt to shame you. They will use persecution. They will bring famine on you. They will use nakedness. They will threaten danger. And as we see in some places, they will even threaten the sword. By the way, does all this sound familiar? Romans 8, verse 35. Who shall separate you from the love of Christ? Well, what would they try to do? These are their tactics. These are their weapons. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. These are the things they will try to do to separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. And what does Paul say? No, brothers, but in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. There's not a weapon in the world that can form against us that shall prevail. We are more than conquerors. But that's the world. Beloved, we have overcome the world. Do you know that? 1 John chapter 5, verse 2 says, and who is the one who over, this is what overcomes, I'm butchering it. This is, the, uh, this is he who overcomes the world, our faith. Look at that verse, because that's not the right quotation. <laughs> 1 John 5, 2. We overcome the world by faith. It is our faith that overcomes the world. And there is no weapon formed against you that will stand. That's the world, though. What about us? What about us? You know, this indwelling principle of sin that we live with, the flesh versus the spirit, do you feel that conflict inside of you? Do you feel that conflict going on over and over and over again? That, la that law within us that keeps us from, the, from wanting to, to do the things that the spirit wants us to do, that flesh that fights against our spirit, do you feel that? that indwelling principle of sin that causes us to want to resist what God wants us to do. That law that keeps us from desiring to worship God. Let me ask you a question. Why is it that you can get so engrossed in a novel that you just can't even put it down? You can get so involved in a novel and it just takes you away. How are you doing on your Bible reading this year? Why is it that we have such a hard time getting so engrossed in the word? 
when we have such an easy time for other things. Why is that? It's the flesh. And by the way, I'm there with you. I got some catch up to do this week. I'm there with you. Don't, don't you think for a second that my flesh is not the same as yours? It, I'm telling you, it's hard. It's hard. It's difficult. It's war. It's spiritual warfare. What about that temptation that comes up that seems like you just have no power over it? What about that worry and anxiety that begins to creep up again and it seemingly comes out of nowhere and it seems so powerful when that desire to open up the bottle, when that desire comes to look on the website, when that desire comes and it seems so powerful and you think I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to be better than this. By the way, look at what Paul says. I won't read the whole passage, but in Romans 7, he says here, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions. For what I do not want to do, for I, for I, for I do not do what I want, and I do the very things I hate. He goes on and says, I delight in the law in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and taking me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And by the way, this is old Paul. This is not new Christian Paul. This is Paul on his third missionary journey. This is Paul in the, in, in where he's had all this experience as a missionary. This is old Paul having this problem. I don't do the things I want to do and I find myself doing the very things that I hate. And he gets to that point. He says here in, in verse 24, wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death. You ever get to that point? I am so wretched. I've been there. There have been times I've cried out to the Lord. I've, I've cried out to Roxanne. I, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be better than this. You ever been there? Sure you have. I think every Christian has. And Paul gets to this point where he says that who will deliver me? Oh, beloved, don't read, don't stop at verse 24. Read verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And move on into that great chapter, Romans chapter eight. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He is victorious. He has won. He has won the war. There is now no condemnation for you. Stop condemning yourself. Beloved, God doesn't condemn you in Christ Jesus. God knows a lot more about you than you do. He doesn't condemn you. He has saved you. You know, Herod certainly left his mark on Israel. You can go there today. How many of you guys have been to Israel? I know Miss Benita has. Anyone else? Have you guys been to Israel at all? No? No one else? 
You can go over to Israel today and you can see these marvelous structures that he's made. You can see these wonderful fortresses that he designed. You can see the remnants of the temple that, that he built. He certainly left his mark on Israel. But there's only two people in this room who has even got to see it. That's it. He left his mark on Israel, but he hadn't left his mark on the rest of the world. Beloved, how many of you are here this morning that Jesus Christ has left his mark on you? Who won? Who won? Jesus did. And there is not a corner of this world that Jesus has not had an impact, at least at some point since he was here in his flesh life. Christ has won. Has he left his mark on you? Has he won the victory for you? Have you placed all your hope and trust in him alone for salvation? If not, beloved, will you come talk to me this morning? Will you come and ask me about it? Will you come and say, I want to know how Christ can leave his mark on me? Will you come and say, I want to be saved. I want to know that I know that I am going to heaven. And if you are a Christian here this morning and you are struggling with distress, you are struggling with difficulty, what do you do? What's, what's the application for you here this morning? You're still struggling with that sin. It's still wreaking havoc inside of you like Herod was wreaking havoc in Israel that day. Like Rachel, you find yourself in tears. What do you do? Remind yourself of these truths once again, over and over and over. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says in his wonderful book, Spiritual Depression, he says that the problem with us is that we are always listening to ourselves and we are not talking to ourselves. And he says, when these feelings, when these struggles come within you, you take the truths of God's word and you talk back to yourself, out loud if you have to. You talk back to yourself and you remind yourself over and over and over again, I am in Christ. And Christ has won the victory. Herod died. Jesus rose again. You can still see Herod's tomb. There ain't a tomb in the world that Jesus is inside. It's bad grammar, but it is a great theology and it's wonderful hope. Beloved, remind yourself of these truths over and over and over again. And if that's not enough, then you do what I call follow the advice of my favorite theologian, Regis Feldman who said, phone a friend, phone a friend. Let me ask you a question. Is there someone in here that when you are in the midst of distress, that, that you have tried to remind yourself of these truths over and over and you just can't get yourself out of this spinning cycle? Is there someone in this church that you can call and say, hey, I just need you to pray for me? I'm going through distress right now. Would you help me? I'm going through discouragement. I'm really, it's really bogging me down this week. Will you pray for me? Is there someone in here who will do that for you? I'll tell you, I love our deacons. 
I love our deacons. I, I had a really tough counseling case one day. Oh my goodness, this guy was bitter. He was angry. He, was, he has rejected God. He's left his church. He is all of this. And, and he wanted to talk. And so he came to talk. And I tell you, that was one of the hardest emotionally toils. Is that a word? Uh, biggest toil emotionally of a, of a session that I've ever had. And when it was done, I was just drained. And, and, and I just had to call up one of our deacons. And he actually answered this time. And he said, what's up? I said, I just need to hear a friendly voice. I just need a friendly voice. And we talked, he talked to me for about 10 minutes. That's all it took. He prayed for me. And then I was good for the rest of the day. Do you have someone like that that you can call or text? If not, that's your homework this week. I want you to find someone in this church. I want you to go to them and I want you to say, can I call you when I need prayer? Can I call you when I'm in distress? Can I call you when I'm difficult? You don't have to say a word. Will you just pray with me on the phone? If you don't have someone this week, someone in this church who will do that for you, that's your assignment this week. I want you to do that. And if someone asks you to do it, don't you say no. Don't you say no. You say, I don't know what to say. You don't have to say anything. Just pray with them. Or you know what? Put them on speakerphone. Text me. Text me. Hey, someone's having this difficulty. Can you, can you point me to a verse real quick? You know what? I'm not great at answering text. I will try to get better. But you know, better than texting me, you know what you could do? You could pray. Because guys, here's the thing. When you text me, that's what I'm gonna do. And you can do the same thing. So whatever it is, if you're in distress, Christ has delivered you and Christ is victorious. Remind yourself of those truths. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ's deliverance and his victory, I wanna talk to you. Father, we thank you for this, these wonderful truths. We thank you for this time that we've spent in your word. I know I've gone a little long this morning and I've kind of... <laughs> I've kind of taken out all the hay bales. I get that. But Father, I pray it's been fruitful. I pray that your people this morning have been encouraged and uplifted and edified. And Lord, if there's one here this morning who's going through distress, I pray that they will find someone they can call. I pray that you will put someone on their heart. And I pray that if there's one here this morning that does not know your deliverance, does not know your victory, that they would come to you this morning. Don't even allow them to enjoy their lunch until they get this right. Don't let them enjoy sleeping tonight until they get this right. Keep them up, convict them, hammer their hearts so that they will know you. Draw them to yourself, Lord, we pray. Draw us all closer to you. It's in your name we pray. I'm gonna ask you to stand just real quick and I know there's not a lot of us here this morning. I'm just gonna ask you to bow your heads and just reflect on what we've said as the piano plays. And if you're here this morning and you, you do need some counsel, you do need some help, you're welcome to come down and talk to me. But maybe you're here this morning and you say, Randy, I, I don't necessarily wanna come down, but I just want you to pray for me. You know I will. 
all the heads are bowed. I'm just gonna ask you, Randy, would you pray for me? Would you lift your hand? And you know, I, just, I just need some prayer. I'm going through some difficulty. I see that, thank you. I'm going through some difficulty. Yes, sir, I see that. And I will, I will pray for you. And I ask you, if you wanna call and talk this week, we can do that too. If you wanna talk today, we can do that too. Or if you wanna find someone who, in this church who will pray for you. Beloved, Calvary Baptist Church is the cream of the crop, I believe. We're a small congregation, but we are mighty in spirit. And there are dozens of people who will pray for you this morning. Maybe you just need to go and say, I need someone to pray with me before you leave today. You can do that. Whatever the need is, God's gonna meet it for you this morning if you'll let him.